Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. My name is Tania McQueen, and welcome back to Behavioral Health in the New Normal. Um, today, I have a very special guest here with me today. She is an author. She's an entrepreneur. She is an educator, um, and she's also my big cousin. So, <laughs> so today we have with us Kefney Harvin. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and that kind of thing? Well, as you know, my name is Kefney Harvin. I am a mom of three. Nona of a four-year-old. My husband and I have been married for 15 years. We're from Rockingham. Well, you and I are from Rockingham, North Carolina. Um, <laughs> I made my home in Greensboro or um, McLeansville, around the outskirts of Greensboro, right after I graduated from um, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, Aggie Pride. <laughs> so you said you're a Nona. What does that mean for us that don't know? I'm somebody's grandma. <laughs> a fancy word for grandma. <laughs> okay. All right. And so how has, we're here, we're talking about the pandemic. How has everything been going with you and the pandemic? And how are you making it through and handling it? Well, I was diagnosed with Bell's palsy in August of 2019. So I had already been kind of shut off from the world. So when it came up for people to be shut off and, you know, how to, to come in and hide away, I was already doing it. So it didn't really bother me any. My joke was I had been trained for this moment because I had already <laughs> been, I had already been tucked in five months before, um, yeah. waiting on my healing to come. So it affected us because my girls had to begin remote learning which has been very good for the oldest one because she's, or the middle one, because she is, she's more focused here at home. She doesn't have the distractions at school to not do what needs to be done as far as her work is concerned. And for my youngest one, when we first started, I would call her teacher because her teacher and I were colleagues and good friends. And I'd be like, come get your student. I became her first. <laughs> 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 I became her personal secretary. It was, uh, you know, so, uh, mom, I need help typing this, or mom, I need this, or mom, I can't do that. And, you know, so, but eventually she's kind of getting the hang of being a little more independent. But she's the baby. You know how y'all do. <laughs> <laughs> I am the baby. Don't, don't try to point that out. <laughs> so other than that, like, um, how has the family, is, I know the kids have been affected affected there now distance learning and everything i know you own a business how's that going in the pandemic and stuff well again being that i was diagnosed with bills and i wasn't able to do my regular job 
while I was sitting in the house, I had to do something so I wouldn't go crazy. So my husband had bought me a cricket a couple years back. And I was like, well, you know, when the summer comes, I'm going to use it because I never had time to use it beforehand. So with everything being shut down, I kind of got my creative juices to flow. And I just started like designing t-shirts. My first t-shirt I designed was one for me. And it said, um, I have Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy doesn't have me. So, and it just kind of, that just kind of spiraled from there and had started writing a book and actually a play as well that the book and the play came out in 2019 that were already in under works before I came out of my job. So in December and December of 2019, the same week on a Monday and a Friday, I had a um, my book came out and then my three day production came out at my local church. So that was awesome. So you would say you came out at your local church. So would you say that spirituality has been a big part of helping you make it through the pandemic and everything? Oh, yeah. You know, we came from a praying family. Um, We believed, they believed in keeping us in prayer, making sure we prayed, making sure that we knew the God that they served and making sure that we were able to experience him for ourselves as well. So yes, my God has been a huge, huge part, all of why, you know, I haven't jumped off the curb. <laughs> well, you know what, what Ivory Stanback would say, prayer is the key and, and faith, faith unlocks, unlocks the door. Yep. Yeah, so that, so exactly. So I think for me, like, I guess the question that I have, what would you say has been probably the most difficult part of this pandemic? Trying to manage the things I have going and my girls being here and trying to help them and just trying to do everything that needs to be done. My biggest and not being able to go out and and see family like like normal. I don't know if this is the time yet, but my biggest suffering in this pandemic is the loss of my mom and how that has affected us in everything. But just trying to get adjusted to this new normal, wearing masks, making sure you sanitize and, and wash your hands. There's the things, you know, we should have been doing all along, things that I know we've been doing all along, but can't make other people do it. So no, you can't, you cannot. I guess one of the things that I did want to ask you, I want to go back to grief and coping and with loss in the pandemic and all of that. But just before we get to that piece, do you feel like us as younger people, when we heard about the pandemic, when the when everything started happening, do you feel like we as younger people didn't necessarily take it as serious as we should? I don't think anybody took it as serious as they should have from the head down. I think everybody knows like it's a conspiracy theory, you know, it's nothing. And they didn't heed the warning, the warning that was already there. They had said it had been around for a while, but for it to come out like it had come out and for people to just start dying and, you know, they compared it to the flu. Well, people died with the flu. Well, we know what the flu is. This is something we don't know. So why not be proactive and take the proper measurements to safeguard ourselves and to safeguard our loved ones if it means that we can get rid of it or if we can get a handle on it so and you shared with us and I you don't have to share it with me because I, I already know that we lost your mother in the pandemic yeah so being that you're not able to 
Um, we weren't able to be around family like that. We weren't able to just be as free and as loving as we generally are with each other. What are some things that you did to cope with that? How did you maneuver through that situation? If someone was a support, like what are some things that you did? Um, I made sure that even when I didn't want to pray for myself, I made sure that I had people that I knew I could trust and depend on to pray for me, to make sure that my mind was covered because it starts in the mind. And if the enemy can overtake your mind, then he has you. So I made sure that I had people that were praying for my mind, that were praying. My husband was my covering. He made sure that, you know, he covered me. There were, we just kind of, as my sister and I planned our mother's funeral or her home going, we just kind of, it really was easy. It was, I say for us, because a lot of decisions were already kind of made. So the outside burial service, and you know, mama, mama didn't want, mama was very simple. She didn't like a whole bunch of fuss and a whole bunch of stink. So when it was, you know, the outside um, memorial, it was like, that was perfect because she didn't do a lot of hoopla and she loved her family. And so just being with her family and her most intimate friends, I felt like, you know, was, I felt like we did her proud. We did what she would have, would have wanted us to do, but we stayed in prayer or tried to, you know, and, and tried to listen to the unction of the Holy spirit and listen to her as to what we would do. It still wasn't easy because we, we wanted to make sure that we could give her, you know, what she was due and not make anybody else sick. So making sure that, you know, the funeral home made sure that there was hand sanitizer and there were people did wear their mask and we did kind of social distance and spraying down the facility when everyone left because as you know, daddy wasn't able to, to be around us because he had COVID and he was immune compromised. So he wasn't even, he wasn't able to be around us as well. So that was another thing we had to, to deal with and knowing that my kids in somewhat of a way risk factors because Chanel has asthma and both of them had RSV as babies, making sure that, you know, when they're out, when they're in crowds or when they were in this, that I was doing what I knew best to keep them protected as well. You know, besides praying, making sure that I was doing what needed to be done to protect myself, that I wouldn't give it to them, especially knowing that you can have it and not know you have it. So I wouldn't bring it back into the home with the girls or God for just give it to anybody. So just making sure that we took the necessary precautions and giving her the best homegoing service as best we could was, was very taxing. So how would you say your experience with like hospital staff, like the funeral home, that kind of thing. Did you find it just losing a loved one, period? Your mother is a stressful, it's a taxing thing. Um, do you feel like that you received support from those areas? Did they know what to do? Did they know how to handle the situation? Let's start with the funeral home. The funeral home, they did. Like I said, having requiring masks being worn, having hand sanitizer in place, having a bathroom where you could wash your hands, limiting the number of people that could come in. 
even though, you know, we stayed in there, but we sat strategically apart. We tried to make sure that we sat apart from each other. But, you know, there were times when we were kind of close, but we had our mask on. But we were steadily using, I know for me, steadily using hand sanitizer after hugs because this is my family and I don't want to be afraid of them. You know, the hospital, being that my mother was diagnosed with COVID, but she died from the, from double pneumonia, from complications of COVID. When we got to the hospital, one, I don't, I just told my dad and my sister, I don't know what made us so special. I don't know what made us so fortunate to be able to be in that room because, you know, the hospitals were, people were dying by themselves. And so, you know, you had to just wait for your loved one to die and, you know, get that phone call. But as hard as it was, that wasn't our lot. We were able to be in the room with her. We were able to put our mask on, put our face shields on, put our gloves and look like we were going to surgery and be in that room with her and watch her take her last breath. Setting myself aside, there was no other place I would have wanted to be. I would have not wanted her to have had to die alone. Mm -hmm. So to know that she took her transition with my sister and I there, I had to find peace and comfort in that. The hospital staff were, were very supportive. And I think that was because we made contact with them. They knew who we, who we were. My mother was an hour and a half away, but it didn't stop me from driving down the Tuesday after she was hospitalized. And we brought cards and pictures of the whole family. So they were, they were supportive of the family support we were giving her. So they supported us as we tried to support her. And, you know, we heard stories of the doctor, of a nurse saying, you know, she just wanted to um, hold my mom's hand, you know, while my mom went through the process of, of being in the hospital. So a lot of them put their humanity aside or put their, what, their knowledge about it aside and just allowed humanity and allowed compassion and allowed human to human to connect with her. And at the time, we didn't know she was dying. Um, we didn't find out until we got there. But allowing her, just comforting her in that and telling her it would be okay. That, I think for me, is comforting to know that even though we could not be there or you could not be there every day or couldn't be with her, that people were looking out for her and people we're not allowing her to feel alone. Right. And that was my prayer. My prayer was, and we sent cards and I was like, well, you know, God, even if she gets the worst doctor in America, if you're with her, then she'll be okay. So even in her death, I had to make peace with this was what was supposed to have happened. So I couldn't go with what ifs. I couldn't go with if we did this or if we did that. I just had to, to make peace with the fact that this was what was supposed to happen. Because even if she, like I said, had the worst doctor in, in the world, if it were meant for her to come out, she would have come out. And I think that was, can you tell how your foundation, your morals, your values, what was instilled in you as a child kind of helped you make it through? Oh, gosh. Again, you know, we had a, a praying grandmother. We had praying aunts and uncles. We were engulfed in church. You know, there were Sundays when we go to Sunday school, first service, second, third, fourth, and fifth seem like. Um, Get out of church at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> we just go home. 
We would go home to eat and then we go right back <laughs> into it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but just having that foundation and watching our grandmother and our aunts and our moms go through things and calling on the name of the Lord and understanding that when we called on the name of the Lord, he may not come when he, when we wanted him to, but he would definitely be on time. So just remembering his name and remembering that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and her death, even though it felt personal, was not personal. That was something that was between her and God. So, you know, just trying to take myself out of it and deal and cope with it the best way that I could. And, you know, I was talking to my pastor and I was like, at one point, you know, that was so selfish of her to leave us here thinking that we could make it without her. And he was like, do you hear you? I was like, yeah, I hear me. But I mean, you know, I know that's a dumb thing to say, but that was just how I felt in the moment. And when I was over the moment, I could go back to knowing again that that was between her and God. That was her appointed time between her and God. And she had given us everything that we needed to go on without her in the physical sense, because, you know, her spirit still lives with us. Her spirit still dwells among us. So she had given us everything more had given us everything. Our aunts, your mom, have given us the foundation to to move past her physical death. Does that mean I miss her any less? God, no. She's which I miss her. I think about her every day. But the comfort and the hope I find being in Christ is that he promised that he'd be a mom for me, that he would take care of me, that he would look out for me. So I just have to take that and trust him at his word that he will be a comfort, he will be my help, he will be my support during this time. Is it always easy? No, but just trusting him. And again, prayer and knowing that I have people praying has made it livable. Kathy, I remember, I remember being told and it all happened real quick. It was like all of a sudden, can you kind of, if you're comfortable with that, can you kind of walk us through that? Because it literally happened real quick. So leading up Monday, on a Monday, my mom went to the hospital. She was having complications with breathing. My dad drove her to the hospital. They ran tests. Tuesday morning, they did let us know she had double pneumonia and she, was, she had been diagnosed with COVID-19. Again, well, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, I took her cards and everything with our pictures on them, you know, telling her to, you know, fight and make sure that she's, you know, resting and she's listening to the doctors and doing whatever else they need to do, she needed to do. I won't get into the contradictory of what the doctors were saying. I'll just say we were given hope that things were going to get better, that she was getting better. She was getting better. And that Saturday night, we got a phone call saying that we needed to come and check on her, just see about her. So my sister and I jumped in the car thinking that we were just going to go, you know, let her see us and let her know that she was okay because they were saying that she was, because she didn't have the oxygen she needed, that she was a little loopy and that she was, she was discombobulated and didn't know where she was. So we just figured that we were going to go and let her see us. And we were going to 
let her know everything was going to be okay, stand outside her window and have prayer with her, and we come on back home. Well, the nurse sat us in the waiting room, and she told us that the doctor would be in in a moment, and we still hadn't thought anything of it. The nurse comes, well, she's a hospitality nurse or something, as to what they call her, because the doctor that had been with mom all week was gone. So the, the hospitality or the hospital nurse that was there brought us in and was like, we called you in because your mom is dying. She does not have long. We just wanted you to, we just wanted to make you aware and to allow you to see her before she goes. So now we're confused because we're like, what happened? And we were told that she was getting progressively worse and that they didn't know how much time she had, but they wanted the time that she had to be with her daughters. Mm -hmm. So like I said, they scrubbed us up. I mean, they, they masked us up from head to toe, hospital caps, masks, face shields, shoes, booties, not the works, and put us in the room with her. And I think about 45 minutes later, we watched her take her last breath. And so during this time, really, because we, because I can speak on it, because we are a family, like we get through things together. And the pandemic kind of, in a way, kind of took that away. Yes. It took it away because we had to limit how much time we could spend with each other and all of that stuff. And so, she asked me, she was like, is it just you two? And I was like, yeah. And because of the pandemic, I didn't know who else could come to be with her. And if I would have known that, then, you know, we would have flooded the hospital. Yes. I'd have been on the first thing smoking. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess speak on that, how when we get our healing from being together in this pandemic, we can't do that. So what have you been doing to kind of, I know you have your immediate family, but we're used to being together. So what have you been doing to just kind of, I guess, Go on. I lean on my immediate family. Like I said, I have friends that I know that have been praying for me. But one thing that has been like her sisters have been phenomenal. Like not to say that they weren't before, but just being a support and calling and talking to them. And, you know, like just since I can't physically put my hands on them, we've been calling each other more. Because, you know, we're the family that we hug everybody when we get to the house. And then we hug everybody when we leave the house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so to not be able to hug and feel the security from my aunt and from my dad, because at one point, again, my dad was immune compromised. It was hard. That part was hard because, again, we are very contactual. That's what we did. We are very, we're a very contactual family. I looked at some of the pictures, and, you know, we're touching each other in the pictures as we're talking to each other. So. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that, that's like, it, I mean, it literally is. So it's good to hear that you've developed ways because I don't think – no one, I don't know what you're going through. I can empathize. So it's good to know, it's good to hear that you're developing coping skills or ways to just move forward. Right. I guess for me, like what, if any, if you could give, I did this pretty much on every interview. If you could give just like three words, three words, of a, uh, just three 
tips or three things that have that you feel like when dealing with loss or grief in this time, um, you could share it with someone to just help somebody? What would that be? First and foremost, God, prayer and uh, support not just with my immediate family, but with my extended family. Um, I may not talk to you guys all the time, but I always know that we're always praying for each other. You know, we all have lives outside of each other. So, you know, just knowing that I take comfort in knowing that somebody, I may not know who, but I know somebody is praying for me. I take comfort in knowing that in those prayers, there's support. And it has to be support if you're praying for me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So... (laughs) You know it. <laughs> so, you know, receiving a text message here, um, receiving, you know, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, has meant a lot. It has meant more than some know. And they don't always come from the people you expect the most. Sometimes they come from people that you wouldn't expect. So, you know, I had a colleague, an old friend, who was just like, I'm thinking about you. I hadn't talked to her in, in years, not because, you know, anything was wrong. We just hadn't talked, but you know, it was laid upon her heart to reach out and say, Hey, you know, I'm here if you need me. And so knowing that people are reaching out. And so it's on me to take the reach out or not, but to know that there are people there who will be a listening ear if I need one, who, if they ask me how it's going, I can transparently tell them how it's going and not muffled talking about, you know, my mom. And like I was talking to Aunt Sally, I was like, I feel bad with talking about mama in the past tense. And she was like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the reality that we're in. So people helping me make the transition a reality because at one point I was numb to it. So talking about it and being able to, you know, admit the feelings that I was having about it helped a lot. Because at one point I was numb and then I had to deal with, you know, my feelings and my children's feelings. They come with a whole nother thing. This was their grandmother. This was their Mimi, a person that they had spent summers and Christmas with. You know, my kids didn't like me this week for Christmas because they were stuck with me. They were used to being a mama's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They were used to, for me, leaving them with my mother on Christmas Day and coming back to get them. So there were a lot of things, a lot of things are different with her not being with us, but we had to always talk about the good, always remember her good, always, I have on her dress, always um, remember the things that she taught, and, and I try really hard not to be angry. I feel anger is a choice, and I'm choosing not to be angry. I'm choosing to take the best of her and continue to live. And I think I was going to ask, did you have any words of encouragement? Um, But I think you just gave them. (laughs) I think you just gave them when you said you took, you take the best of her and choose to go forward and choose to move. Cause that's what she would have wanted. Right. I think she would be sad because we're sad and because we miss her. But I think again, She's given us wings to fly. So since she's given us wings to fly, we don't need rope to hang ourselves. And I think my mom, um, my mom said it best. Deborah McQueen, shout out to Deborah McQueen, said it best. Because I remember when I found out, she just basically said, I'm going to tell you what, she said, what would Helen tell you? 
She said, what would Helen tell you? I said, I don't know. I don't know what Aunt Helen would tell. Because, you know, she was my Aunt Helen. And she just said, Helen would tell you, you're going to be all right. And so from Aunt Helen's spirit to your ears, you're going to be all right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, like I said, that is what helped us make it through. And I hear her tell me, you know, when she, when she died that Saturday, I came home and I, I laid down that night. And I heard her tell me, I'm okay. So you're okay. So to know that she's okay. And she's been sending us signs and trinkets to let us know that she's okay. Makes me okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Kevney, this is the opportunity where we give everyone the opportunity to shout out. It's a heavy subject, so we're going to lighten it up. To shout out what you're doing, your social media accounts, any products that you may have that you want people to know and how they can, most importantly, how they can keep in touch with you. Because we're hoping that your story is going to empower somebody. So how can they keep in touch with you if you want to give that out and your social media handles? So I, I have my own website. I'm my own dot com. Um, All right, now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and that is Kefney at ksharvin.com. I think. Yes, <laughs> Kefney. <laughs> I don't use them. Kefney at ksharvin.com. Okay. Um, my Instagram is ksharvin at Instagram. I do have a LinkedIn, but I'm not sure what it is. Um, <laughs> uh, and what's the name of your book if they want to pick it up? Uh, so this book is um, Blue, and it's a romance novel that I started writing years ago. And I'm working on volume two now. I also design, well, I just, like I said, I started doing t-shirts or customizing t-shirts and even masks. I actually did the ones that we had on for mama's funeral when I put her initial on it and um, her her favorite scripture that we wore to honor her. So, but my thing is book writing. Um, I'm working on a couple of songs that when my face get its life, we'll put out. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that's coming too soon. Yes. So, but yes, definitely. um, I think on Facebook, I'm Kat Stanback Harvin. Yeah. So those are my handles. Okay. So, and I want to thank you because I know this was not easy. And for you to share your story with us and be vulnerable with us, we thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. And so we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.